Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with the person who that I know for sure, I'm 100% confident, is going to ASHA coming up in November, Rachel Madel. Rachel, you're going to ASHA, right? Of course I'm going to ASHA, Chris. We're presenting at ASHA. <laughs> yeah, we're presenting together. Um, so uh, just in case you're not familiar with ASHA, what is that? It's the American Speech Language Hearing Association. And pretty much every year they have a giant conference. And this particular conference is happening in Washington, D.C., which is really convenient for me. Um it's uh, like an hour and a half from my house, uh, maybe two hours on a bad day. Uh, still got an Airbnb to 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 so, so I didn't have to drive home. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to be at ASHA. You're going to be at ASHA. We're going to be at ASHA together. And Chris, I believe, yes, I'm confident. Actually, I can confirm that. Our presentation at ASHA is going to be the first time we will have ever presented in person together. I think you're right. In fact, it's only the second time we've ever met in person. <laughs> <laughs> I know, which feels so crazy because we've done so many other presentations together. And obviously we record this podcast every week, so it's really funny. But yeah, I'm super pumped for this in-person session. So if you're going to ASHA, it is on November 19th, 2021, from 1.30 p.m. until 2.30. Well, is it, is it a one-hour presentation? So it's just one hour, and we're going to talk about something near and dear to our hearts. It's all about coaching. We're talking about coaching, and the real challenge is going to be how are we only going to talk for an hour about coaching? <laughs> I feel like that's where we're going to we're gonna struggle, Chris, because we already have a two-hour coaching course. And I feel like it's never enough. The two hours isn't enough. Um, so to somehow prune it down to one hour feels like a big challenge. Yeah. Well, I think what we're going to do, like, tell me when I mean, we can just plot it right here. Like, let's plan it right here live. Right. I mean, when else are we going to find time to chat about this? So let's just do it right here live. Here's what I think. You know, uh, you and I have talked about this on the podcast before, that if you're going to be doing some sort of in-person, real-life event, then it's got to be interactive, more interactive than just Chris and Rachel talking to you for an hour, because if that's the case, just listen to the podcast, right? We're doing that right now. What would be much more engaging, I think, Rachel, is if we set it up, you know, so maybe 10 minutes of what coaching is, that talk between what's coaching and consulting, talk a little bit about how uh, coaching really picked up because of the pandemic. But then let's practice. Like, let's talk about a skill, partner up, practice, you practice, you practice with each other, practice giving feedback, like actually coach each other in experiences because uh, then you start to break down some of those, those uh, that little nervous apprehension people have when they first start coaching. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about that. Those nerves, I think, sometimes prevent people from ever adopting a coaching model when they're practicing. Um, and so, hopefully, we can get all those jitters out, make people feel confident in their coaching skills, and there'll be more. They'll be more inclined and have more of the skills to actually practice it in your sessions. So, does that sound good to you? Like doing some sort of interactive thing where people kind of buddy up and do coaching that way? Yes, and what I'm maybe envisioning is. You know, perhaps we could do something like a, you know, a, a role play scenario where, you know, maybe one of the one person is an angry teacher that like, <laughs> you know, is upset that like the, the child is disrupting the class with all of the, <laughs> you know, saying the same word cookie over and over again on the device. Or, you know, I think we can get really creative about how we set it up so that, you know, the coaching practice is really, you know, relevant, right, to something specific 
perhaps to AAC. So yeah, I think this could be really fun. Absolutely. I mean, I can totally envision us talking about some specific skills like partner augmented input slash aided language stimulation, you know, modeling, if you're not familiar with those terms, um, descriptive teaching, least to most prompting. We could go on with a number of skills, but those are the first ones that kind of jumped in my mind. And we could talk about those. Like, okay, so instead of just coming into somebody's classroom or into somebody's living room and say, hey, you got to be modeling all the time, like, how do you bring about these coaching experiences? So, and have people practice it, right? Like have people actually practice what that would be like, I think is going to be super fun. I mean, I think it's just going to be a fun hour and it's going to fly by, you know, but it's going to be great. I agree. Chris, you're also doing other presentations in ASHA. Talk to us about them. All right. So I've got two other presentations going on. So the only one on that particular Friday is with you and doing that coaching one. But then I've got another one uh, that is coming up on the Saturday at 9.30 a.m. And that's all about gaming. So I'm presenting with Beth Poss and Tally Kellerstein, who I think is in Canada. And we're going to be all talking about getting your game on and playing games and what uh, what gaming is like. You know, that's a big passion of mine, gaming um, and bringing that into education experiences. So that's what's happening at 9.30 a.m. on the Saturday. And then I get the great honor of closing out Saturday as well. You know, that 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 prime spot that everyone kind of shoots for, that 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Well, I'm one of the lucky ones who got that time slot. And this one is all about, you know, how I'm a big fan of coding and robots and talking about that. And um, actually, I just did a presentation on coding and robots um, just earlier this week. And there was like 25 people showed up to the presentation, which was high for that particular uh, topic because it still causes this sort of like, yeah, that's something down the line, right? And of course, you come to this presentation and it's like, no, it's so integrated into what we do. So that's what I got going on. I feel like when people think about gaming, they're like, oh, that's for other people. <laughs> like, I feel like I've had that thought before. Before I started talking with you about it, I was like, oh, that's not me. <laughs> no, games are for everybody. All kids love games. <laughs> yeah. And then the same thing with the robots and the coding. People think, eh, that's not really me. Like, you know, I'm a speech therapist. You know, this is a speech conference, right, Chris? It's like, yes, come. I'm going to make these connections for you. You're going to walk away going, how come I haven't been using robots before? And you're going to see how easy it is um, and how practical it is and how engaging it is. Because in every situation where we've implemented robots, behaviors go down and language goes up. So, so that's what I got going on. What about you, Rachel? You're doing more other presentations as well? You know what, Chris? I'm not. And I feel great about it. <laughs> I feel like every time I've been to ASHA for the last like couple years has been so insane. We've been doing live podcast recordings. I've been sitting at a booth and like really working hard. Um, but this time I'm just going to go. I'm going to present with you and I'm just going to, you know, connect with some friends and see some cool sessions, hopefully. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a little bit easier uh, on my end. But I wanted to remark on you closing out ASHA. So when I was in, I guess it was Orlando, um, two or three years ago, I my session was scheduled at that exact time slot and it actually overlapped with the closing party at like Universal Studios. And so I was like, cool, like I don't even want to be in my own session. Like I can't imagine anybody else who's going to show up here. But I was surprised that I think it was like, you know, 80 or 90 people showed up. And then I was told by somebody, you know what? 
they always put the best speakers at the end because they know that they'll still get a crowd. And then someone said I was the Beyonce of Asha and I was headlining. And so I really appreciated that comment. And I was like, you know what? I do feel like the Beyonce of Asha. Um, So anyway, you're the Beyonce of Asha this year, Chris. I appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> I, I hope that's the case. I hope that's what they were thinking. So yeah, and like I said, I really think it's going to be a blast. I mean, I'm uh, because I don't have to fly anywhere, the plan is to bring some robots to actually play and get some hands-on experience. Of course, like I just finished talking about how it should be some sort of experience that you would be much more difficult to do remotely. So um, that's the plan, you know? So awesome. And now speaking of making connections too, because you made the point that, uh, you know, you're going to go and hang out and meet some friends and stuff. Well, the whole idea is, uh, you know, ASHA conferences like this is like getting together with your extended family. You know, it's like Thanksgiving, you get your your family together. This is like ASHA's like that, where you're seeing all the people that you've chatted with online. And in this case, because I don't think ASHA was canceled last year, right? Or was moved online. It wasn't in person, right? It was. Um, I think I remember seeing that. Um, So this is a a chance to connect face to face with your extended SLP family. Yeah. And so, you know, we are actually going to kind of let you know where we are once we have the room numbers and all those things. If you guys haven't joined our Facebook group, search Talking With Tech, find our Facebook group. That's where we're going to be posting our whereabouts at ASHA. Um, And if you see Chris and I as you're walking through that convention hall and you notice us, please come up and say hi. We would love to meet you. Um, It's super exciting for us when we find um, ourselves you know, running into listeners of the podcast, people who, you know, listen to our work and share our love for AAC. So um, don't hesitate to come up and reach out. Um, I think sometimes it's a little intimidating <laughs> when you're like, oh, like I follow that person's work, but it feels like I don't know them, but I know them. So I want to say something, but I'm scared to say something. We're giving you full permission to come introduce yourself. We would love to meet you. And yeah, we're really excited to meet all of our fans. We would be super sad if you didn't come up and say hello and introduce yourself and tell us what you like about the podcast or that you listen. I mean, it would be so, oh, those are like, it, it gives us the energy to keep doing it, you know, to know there's people out there listening. Yeah. Sometimes Chris and I are just like, hmm, is anyone listening to this? And then we were reminded that thousands of you guys are listening to this and you send us emails and you post about us on social media and all these things. So, yes. Um, Okay. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, definitely join. Um, That's where we're going to be sharing all of our information about ASHA and our whereabouts. Who knows? Maybe we can organize some type of meetup or happy hour or something like that. Um, but it all is going to go down in the Facebook group. Oh, that would be super fun. We should really try to make that happen. So, But the, only if there's interest, which means get in the Facebook group and let us know that you want to, that to happen, and then we can try and put some effort into it. So, Rachel, tell us about the interview today. Chris, I was so excited to interview Cindy Gellarmini. She is a parent who created a book series all about autism and she shared her story with her son and it's a really great interview it's really interesting to hear how her idea kind of transformed into this book series and she actually was interviewed on the today show which we can definitely link to in the show notes which is super exciting but yeah she and i got connected through a mutual colleague and i was like let's come on come on the podcast let's talk about this this is relevant to our audience um and so yeah we had a really great 
conversation about, you know, everything she struggled with, with her son. And, um, yeah, the book series is really cute too. I like was going through it and they showcase it on her today show clip. And, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I'd recommend everybody checking out. And it's really, um, cool to kind of hear how she, she took an idea and transformed it to this book series. Well, parent interviews are some of the most transformative interviews that we do. I know that parent interviews have really changed our practice a lot in working with parents. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to your interview with Cindy. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better... If you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Cindy Gellarmini. Cindy, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can you just start off and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Um, Sure. So um, I am a mom of four. I'm from New Jersey. I had twin girls. Then I had my son, Robbie. He had severe autism. He was, um, he did not speak. I'm so... I'm I'm very careful how I word things now. I was always saying nonverbal, and now I'm learning that it's non-speaking. And there's all these different labels that you can and can't say. But um, to me, he was uh, severely autistic and nonverbal. Um, and then I had another son, uh, also David. So I had four of them. But I did a YouTube uh, channel where I used to follow Robbie around for four years. Because after 21, all the services seem to drop off the face of the earth. So in New Jersey, where I live, autism is probably the highest rate in the country. It's one in 32 kids are being diagnosed with autism. And um, we have great schools and services until they graduate. And then there's hardly anything out there as far as day programs and group homes and things like that. And I was just going through all this stuff with him. And I just turned on my camera on my phone and just started recording it. So I did that for uh, four years, as I said. And then um, one day he had a seizure in the morning and he never woke up. And um, so I wanted to continue his story. So about a year and a half later, I started to write a children's book series about him. Um, And this time I told stories about when he was a little boy, when he was, you know, two to five years old. Mm-hmm. So, so can, can you tell us a little bit more kind of about the book series? I'm really excited to share with our listeners. Um, you know, everyone on this podcast is very um, enthusiastic about kids with complex communication needs and adults with complex communication needs. Um, and so just share a little bit about what, um, you know, the story is all about and um, kind of more details about the book series. Okay, sure. So um, I wrote the first story. What happened was um, I am in the interior design business. Okay. So I'm a color consultant. I wrote a book about how to choose paint colors for your whole house. And I went away to a book 
um, seminar, you know, just a writing seminar. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, she she knew the story about Robbie and about penguins, uh, which I will get to. And she just looked at me and she said, you should write a children's book about a little penguin with autism. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's actually a really cute idea, but put that on the back burner. Right. Um, and then it was about eight or nine months later, I was talking to a PR person um, about my other book and she had Googled me and she said, what is this Robbie and me autism thing? What is that all about? And I said, well, that's my YouTube channel. You know, and I, I told her his whole story. She said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I have all these followers and I, I, you know, I built up momentum and I'm trying to help families that have autistic kids. I, I'm not sure what to do now. She said, well, Ryan, why don't you write a book? I said, well, I had this idea to maybe write a children's book. She's like, oh, my God, that's huge. You should do that. She was such a New Yorker, you know, she's like, that's you. You have to do that. I was like, all right, all right. I didn't think it was a big deal, you know. Yeah. So I posted on Facebook. I said, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. And 400 people chimed in. Now, that's amazing. You have to do that. I was like, wow. OK, then. So I sat down right away and I wrote the first story like in an hour uh, and the whole thing rhymed. And the first story was about um, it's based on my son, but it's the character, Robbie, too. My son didn't go to daycare, but I, I wanted to sort of tell the story of how kids get diagnosed. So the little penguin in the story, he goes to daycare and his teacher noticed that he doesn't sit for circle time and he really likes to rock and he doesn't play with blocks. And instead of uh, playing with trucks like the other boys do, he lines them all up and and uh, and he, you know, he does all these things. And she says, I suggest that you get him evaluated. So the mama takes him to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses diagnoses him with autism and hands her the mama a book, which is what really happened to me. Um, and that was the end of the story. And I said, um, well, that's just the beginning. You know, he was only just diagnosed. I mean, I have to, there's so much more to talk about so many other stories. So I just kept writing um, over the next couple of days. And I, I had 12 stories by the time I was done. So um And as I said, the doctor, this is what happened to me. Robbie was born in 1989. Okay. And when he was two years old, he only had a few words and he, he lost the words and he just stopped speaking. And I mentioned it to a friend that was a speech therapist uh, and her eyes popped out of her head. She says, you need to get him evaluated now. So I took him to get his hearing and speech evaluated. And um, I put him in early intervention. And then this, his, therapist after a couple of months she said to me listen he, he's not responding to the therapies the way the hearing impaired kids are you know because he had a lot of ear infections so mm-hmm. we thought you know he couldn't hear high-pitched sounds and mm-hmm. and I thought well once he gets tubes in his ears he'll he'll hear and he'll start to speak right mm-hmm. and she said to me I don't think that's what this is she says look I'm not supposed to tell you this but I think we're looking at autism here and it's not it's not hearing so mm-hmm. I took him to a developmental pediatrician. He asked me all the questions. And, and at the end, he said, yes, he has PDD NOS. And he handled, handed me this little red pamphlet and uh, said, take this home and read it. And I recommend um, the developmental learning center for, for school. And that was it. That was the end. Like, no, come back and see me in a month. There was like, <laughs> that was wow. it. And, there, and this was 1992. There was no internet. 
No, either. there's no so, Google search. <laughs> no, no. So that all I had was this little pamphlet. And this pamphlet was saying that they're in their own little world. They're not, uh, they're not affectionate. All the, and I said, that is not my son. You know, he's mm-hmm. very affectionate. He knows exactly what's going on around him. He is not in his own world. You mm-hmm. know, he would, um, I mean, <laughs> He'd be in his room. And if you came out of the bathroom and you didn't shut the door, he would come stomping out of his room, go over to the bathroom and slam the door. Like, how dare you not shut that door? I'm like, so that kid is not in his own world. He is paying yes, attention. Very perceptive. Yeah. He knows yeah. exactly what's going on. So I didn't buy it. And I said, this doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. And it wasn't until I got the very end. It was a mom that told the story of her son. And she started describing the odd ways that he would play and things that he would do. And that's when my heart sank. I said, oh, my God. Oh, man, she that is that's Robbie. And that's when it hit me. And that's when I knew. So based off of that, I realized how important it is to hear stories from other moms. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so then I started I, I kept writing the stories. And so the second story was about when I used to be the brownie leader for my girls when they were in first grade and uh, second grade, I think this was. So Robbie was about two or three years old. And as I was busy doing activities with the girls, I turned and looked and Robbie was gone. He had run out of the school cafeteria. I'm like, where did he go? I go outside. I'm asking everybody around. Did you see a little kid? And they're like, oh yeah, we saw some, a little boy run over to the woods. And I'm like, you saw a two-year-old run to the woods by yourself without his mother. And you just watched him go. Yeah. I'm like, you're kidding me. So, and, and sure enough, there's a brook in the woods. Oh my God. How he knew that there was a brook in the woods. I don't know. Cause I never took him over there. And I, and there he was playing in the water. Um, so that was the second story kind of focuses on that. And then at the end of the chapter, um, I do what's called the mom's minute. And then I explain to the adults what just happened in that chapter. Mm -hmm. So I'll explain to them that, you know, running away is very common. It's called eloping. Uh, A lot of autistic kids are fascinated with the water. So, you know, usually when my son ran away, he was heading for a neighbor's pool or a brook or something. So I Mm -hmm. said, it's very important for them to learn how to swim at an early age, Mm -hmm. Uh, things like that. Because I have, I had a two-year-old grandson at the time. So I know that moms read to their kids and moms mm-hmm. will be reading the story as well. Not just, not just children. Totally. Um, so I wanted to kind of speak to the adults as well. So as I was doing all this, I, I started to see the potential of these stories. And I realized that other parents that their kids have just been diagnosed can read these stories and read to their kids and they'll learn all about autism, but in a, in a cute, funny way, you know, with cute illustrations and everything. It's a, it's an easier pill to swallow. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. because I, I know that parents a lot of times are in denial, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think I was in denial. I just felt like it wasn't described to me very well, you know? Yeah. I just got a pamphlet and then like sent, <laughs> sent out the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, again, I couldn't Google it. I couldn't look at, I, I had, you know, all I knew about autism was I used to watch St. Elsewhere back in the eighties and, mm-hmm. and the one doctor had a son that had autism mm-hmm. uh, and he, you know, I remembered the episodes. He would climb out of the window and they'd find him out on the roof. You know, <laughs> yeah. he would stare at the light, you know, um, and that was it. That was my entire reference. Mm-hmm. So so then I was I uh, after I wrote it and, and they all rhyme. And I was able to do that because I'm a singer songwriter as well. So I had it was like writing 12 songs, which is pretty easy. Yeah. Um, so then I had to do the illustrations and I have a background as a mural artist. 
So I said, well, I guess I'm going to do my own illustrations. I'm not good with computers. I'm not a graphic designer. I know that's yeah. how it's done today, but that yeah. is not, it doesn't work for me. Computers and I do not get along. So, right. um, so I said, all right, I'm going to just do all my illustrations. I'm going to paint them because that's what I know. So I started bringing my sketch pad with me everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on a couple trips. I flew out to California with my sister and, uh, Uh, She's a photographer, so she had to go out and do some work, and I was sketching while she was taking photos. Um, And then in in March, I started this in November of 2019, and then in March of 2020, I went on my bucket list trip to Israel and took it with me because it was a really long flight. And while we were there, COVID hit. Yay! Yikes! (laughs) Yay! And I almost did get home, but uh, yeah, but I got home and then had to quarantine for two weeks. And then we went into lockdown. And and because of all that, I had 340 uh, drawings ready to be painted. Wow. (laughs) So, because a typical book is is about 25 pages, right? Wow. So 25 to 30 pages times 12 chapters. So yeah, plus the covers and everything else. So yeah. yeah, So for two months, I just had these drawings just spread out on my dining room table and I just painted and painted and, you know, just banged it out. I mean, for like marathon 12 hour sessions where like I sat so long, my, my hip locked up. I couldn't stand up one day when I was done. (laughs) Oh man. But I was like, I was determined to get this done. Like, because I know me, as a creative person, like I have to be really inspired to do it. And once I lose interest, it'll never, it, I'll never go back to it. Totally. So it's like, nope, I have to keep going until this is done. I'm, this is not a project I'm going to start and not finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as I was doing it, you know, I would post on Facebook, you know, like, you know, the illustrations that were going on and a friend of mine, who's a teacher and she has a son with autism. She said, I can't re- wait to read these stories to my class. And then that was like a light bulb moment. I said, oh, man, yeah, you're right. This would be an amazing teaching tool for parents, I mean, and for teachers to to read to their class, especially since inclusion is really big now. Yeah. Um, My son went to school for all autistic kids, but now, you know, kids are right in public schools with everybody else. Um, And I thought, wow, you know, if the teachers would just read this to the class, it would teach the kids about autism, what it is. And as they fall in love with Robbie the penguin, Mm -hmm. right, then if they see a classmate that's stimming or having a meltdown, instead of the kids saying, oh, he's so weird, they would say, oh, I get it. He's just like Robbie the penguin. Yeah. And I think that would just change the whole atmosphere of of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend years ago, she, she moved to New Jersey from the Midwest and her son had cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and they filmed him. They did a movie of him and showed it to the school before they moved to New Jersey. So the whole school knew who Tim was. They all mm-hmm. saw it. So when he arrived to the school, Tim was a rock star. Yeah, like a celebrity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I thought that was just so brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just I kind of never forgot that. And I just thought, man, that's that's kind of how parents have to do it, that you have to just, you know, it, just explain it to the kids, let them know who they are, what the deal is. And kids will understand. You know? Yeah, it's the adults, I feel like, that are closed minded. And, I, you know, kids are very open to learning yeah. and, you, you know, curious explain. and yeah. And then they get it and then they're fine with it. And then they're on their way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when my son, David, Robbie was five years older than David. And uh, we'd have Robbie in the car and he couldn't talk. And 
and uh, one of his friends asked me one time, they said, how come you can't talk? And they love to play video games, you know, and they plug the wires into the back of the, the DVD player or whatever to hook up the yeah. video game. And I just explained it to him like that. And I said, well, you know how that the, the you've got the red, white, and yellow wires that you plug in, you know, and one is audio, one's video. One's, I said, it's like his wires not plugged in, mm-hmm. in his brain and it just doesn't work right. He's like, Oh, okay. I get it. And he's like, that's it. He's yeah. on his way. He's like, Oh, okay. You know, there's no like, Oh, he's so weird. Or they're like, okay. So his brain doesn't work the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cur- I'm curious, uh, Cindy. What, so what, how did Robbie communicate? Um, like what did he have like any sign language or tell me a little bit um, about that. In his school, they used pecs. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pretty good at recognizing pictures of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they worked on that with him a lot. Um, and back then it was, you know, it's a Velcro mm-hmm. picture, right? Yeah. Uh, and they had the computer generated pictures. And after a while, they started to, they, they, they kind of switched over to the actual photo. And they worked on that a lot, just getting him to request, you know, drink, goldfish, whatever, and getting him to request. Mm-hmm. And he did pretty well. He just refused to use the bathroom one. <laughs> <laughs> he would take that and throw that. <laughs> He's like, um, I'm not going to tell you that I have to go to the bathroom. Um, and then, and he used some modified signs. Um, mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. fine motor skills weren't great. Mm-hmm. So he, he had neuropathy in his hands and feet as well. Mm-hmm. I found out later on. Um, so, but he, I mean, and I do it, I still do it with my, my baby grandson. I'm, it's such a habit for me. I'm like, Oh, do you want more? Do you want to eat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> signing. All the signs going through all the signs. Yeah. I know I find yeah. myself doing um, that too. <laughs> help, help. This was too much for them. So they had him just slap his arm. It was like, help, you know, yeah. but he would get them confused. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be like, do you want help? And he'd be, he'd, he'd be like shaking his head up and down and slapping his arm and like trying to do all of them. It's like, okay, it's yeah. okay. I know what you want. <laughs> Yeah. So can you describe a little bit about what it's like to be a parent of a you know child who's non-speaking? Because um, I know a lot of there's a lot of parents who listen to this podcast, a lot of you know mm-hmm. practitioners and educators who work with kids with complex communication needs. I'm mm-hmm. really curious what your perspective is and what your experience has been um, kind of the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Um, I had to just kind of be a mind reader, basically. And and. I guess you just know your child, just like you, you, a mom knows her child, you know, and, and to me, it's like, he never grew out of the toddler phase. Mm -hmm. Um, He was 27, but he still wore a pull up diaper. He still couldn't speak. He's, you know, he still watched Disney movies, you know, Mm -hmm. he just never grew out of that, that phase. Um, And he started having seizures at 17 years old. And this was the big thing that I really had to figure out with him. Um, he, he, got, he got very sick. He was vomiting all night long. And then he, he had his first seizure. And he actually, he actually died when he had the first seizure. He was gone for 15 minutes. I did CPR on him. And my, and my husband literally called him back from the dead. And he was wow. like, no, no, Robbie, don't go. Um, and they took him out to the ambulance and my husband was getting ready to call me because I wasn't home. And the guy from the rescue squad ran back to the house and knocked on the door and said, he's up. Like they couldn't believe that he got back up. Wow. Um, so then he, we, he went to the hospital after that. And I met the neurologist for the first time. And he asked me questions about his digestion and his behavior 
Mm -hmm. uh, and the seizures. And he was going through these cycles of aggressive behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And but then it seemed that after the aggression would come, you know, diarrhea or vomiting. um, Mm -hmm. and And then, you know, the seizure came. So he had me keep a record of all that. And what happened was he got sick. Well, he, he ended up getting diarrhea every single weekend. It would start 6 p.m. Um, but the vomiting was on Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, February vacation, Easter. He ended up having another seizure back in the hospital. Memorial Day weekend, the day after school ended in June, back in the hospital. The th- after the third time in the hospital, I looked at him and I finally realized what was going on. Because we couldn't explain to him things like I don't I don't know where his I didn't I don't know what he could understand when we spoke. Okay, Mm -hmm. but I realized that he put two and two together because the only time we ate in the dining room was on a holiday. And it was on those days, whenever we were sitting at the dining room table, he'd start getting agitated and he'd start running back and forth in the house. And then he'd run into the living room and he'd take my pillows and he'd throw them all on the floor, you know, and he would start mm-hmm. doing this. And then by 6 p.m., he was under a blanket in his room. I was like, oh, no, here we go. You know, and he didn't feel well. So the third time in the hospital, I realized, wait a minute, what happens on holidays? Why is that so upsetting to him? He's not going to have school now for a week. And he's putting two and two together, realizing, wait a minute, they're eating the dining room. That means I'm not going to have school now for the next few days. I'm going to be off of school for for a week at a time. Mm -hmm. And every weekend he knew there's no school for the next two days. So Mm -hmm. that's when I I started to put two and two together. And I said, oh, man, he doesn't want to be here anymore. He doesn't want to live home with us. And he, you know, at this point, he's 18, 19 years old. And I said, you know what? even though mentally he's, he's a lot younger biologically, he's 18 years old. He's ready to go to college. He wants to be with his friends. He doesn't want to be home with his parents. What 18 year old kid wants to hang out, hang around with his parents all day. Totally. They don't, they want to be with their friends, mm-hmm. you know? So that's when I started to realize, all right, I, I need to do something because this kid's going to die of these seizures. If I don't do something quickly, mm-hmm. um, and then I tried to get him into a residential school and that was too much money and nobody would pay for that. Blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I finally had to call the state and get some help. Um, and they recommended that he go into a group home um, so that he could get 24 hour care. And that was a disaster. And that's when I started my, uh, my video blog. Mm-hmm. Um, they called the police on him. If he had a behavior, I, I showed up and they were taking him out in handcuffs. Mm. I said, the police officer, I said, do you have any training with people with autism? He said, no, we don't. I said, well, that's obvious. Yeah. Um, and then I had to shut my mouth because I didn't want them to take, put me in handcuffs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, over a couple of years, though, they finally started to, uh, they knew that everybody else that came to the group home after that would be teenagers with, with autism and would have behaviors and they needed to have better training and all that. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I did finally get him into a day program that was run by the same people that ran the group home. And, um, 
uh, and then and he was happy and everything was in place. But but that was difficult trying to explain to the people in the group home, because, again, I wanted them to use the pecs. I wanted them to use the sign language. I wanted them to do, you know, give Robbie a way to communicate. And they just wouldn't listen to me, you know, and that's why Robbie was having behaviors. And that's why he was getting frustrated. But his needs were very basic. He either. He either was hungry and wanted to eat. He wanted you to change his movie on the TV. Um, sometimes he'd just start getting bored. Uh, he, it, it was frustrating because he didn't want to watch anything new, but yet he'd get bored of his old stuff. <laughs> that feels like a problem. <laughs> it is. It's a vicious cycle. You know, and so then it's like, you know what, let's just get in the car and let's go take a ride. And that mm-hmm. usually, you know, um, but it's it's just a big guessing game, just trying to figure out, you know what does he want? Sometimes, sometimes my husband said, you know, I I think he might just have a headache or something. I don't really know. And he would give him Tylenol and then he'd calm down and he'd be fine. You know, Um, it's just, you're just guessing. You just don't know. You just have to try to learn their behaviors. Yeah. And that's like, you know, the, the, I think the key takeaway here for everyone listening is that this is why it's so important to establish communication systems for autistic individuals who are non-speaking, even in, you know, individuals who have verbal speech. Um, You know, it's so important to have those, that communication, because what happens when you don't have that is anxiety, frustration that could lead to, you know, seizures and all of these, you know, things that we don't want for anyone um, and we don't wish for anyone. Um, it starts with building a strong foundation for communication and giving, you know, students access to language um, beyond just a handful of pictures that, you know, are their immediate, you know, wants and needs, um, you know, teaching, you know, kids to tell us when they feel sick and, you know, advocating for themselves. Um, yeah. So I think this story kind of illustrates how vital that is. Yeah, for sure, because I really felt that he was he was trying to tell me and he couldn't tell me. And the, and the only thing he could do was he, it it was like, he was making himself sick. He would get under a couple of blankets, overheat his body and get to the point where he just started. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he got to the point where he'd just start vomiting. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Yeah. But but the diarrhea is brought on by anxiety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's super interesting too, how you notice the pattern. Um, I think it's so important. I actually have a a family right now that I'm working with, um, you know, a child is six years old, autistic, and just recently in the last couple of weeks started having seizures. Um, and like the first thing I said was like, start tracking, like start tracking information about what is, you know, happening before what happens after, what does this look like? And the mom just came back to me and she was like yesterday. And she said, I think it's when it's two things I'm noticing. One, it's when there's a demand put on communication and he doesn't have the word or he doesn't know what to say, Mm -hmm. um, or he's not able to communicate that he's not getting his way and what he wants. And like, those are, you know, triggering the seizure activity. Um, and so I think it's so important. Like we obviously know it's important to give kids access to communication, but we don't realize that there can be medical, you know, manifestations, um, that are a result, a direct result of not being able to fully communicate. Yeah. When, um, when the doctor gave me that diagnosis and he said, I recommend this school, the Developmental Learning Center, one of my neighbors, I, I had seen the bus pick her son up every day. So I knew her son went to that school and I called her and she said, we're having a parent meeting tonight. Come to this meeting. And one of the moms there 
was talking about her son and he was using a facilitated communication. Um, he, he understood what she said. Okay. So he, he, his receptive speech was fine. He just couldn't, and he could speak, but he couldn't always say the same, the right thing or something. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but he was facilitating and he was frustrated. And he said to her, I'm saying that I want a cracker, but I really want a cookie. And wow. so the wrong word was coming out. So he mm-hmm. could type it, but he couldn't say the right mm-hmm. word. And so that, so I learned that very early on. And I said, wow, that sounds like somebody that has a stroke to me, you know, like they're trying to say the word and the wrong word comes out, you know, I'm not in the medical profession, uh, you know, at all. So I don't know the proper terms for everything, but it, but that explained something to me, how the wires are getting jumbled, you know, totally. Uh, yeah. And how frustrating, even if they can speak, maybe they're not saying what they really want to be saying and they're getting very frustrated. Uh, I know I have a kiddo on my case right now that I'm literally thinking about. He, every time we ask him like a where question, like, where's the ball? Like, where's the dog? Mm -hmm. He always says under, he says under every single time. And we're like, no, it's not under. And so we are using a high-tech device with him for communication. Uh, He has lots of words, but we're using that device. And the moment we programmed all of the different prepositions, like on, next to, you know, behind, 100% accuracy can answer those questions. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a perfect example of how, you know, he knows what he wants to say, but every time he just keeps saying under because he can't find the right word to express. But, you know, in his head, he knows the word to say, um, which I think that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, And think about how frustrating that would be. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And then to keep pushing him to try to say, not say under, under, you know, over and over again. I think that's just going to keep frustrating them. You have to give them a different way to communicate. Exactly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I see the things that are people, you know, I have a podcast myself and I've been interviewing a bunch of moms and just listening to all of their stories and, um, you know, and listening to the ones that are using different ways to communicate now that uh, I, you know, I, (laughs) It's too late for me now, you know, but I'm but I'm happy to see the progress that's being made, you know, where when Robbie was little, that that, that was the only option. It's either you speak or we're going to give you the pecs and that's it. There's no there are no iPads, There's you know. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, we have such access at this point to technology that can really help support communication and we're still like, I still I'm working on cases and I'm like, why are we using this textbook? Like, why are we not upgrading to some technology uh, that can better, you know, assist a person's ability to communicate, um, to type, to do all these things that we know is possible with technology. Um, And it's so frustrating because, you know, it still feels like we're, we're stuck in the (laughs) eighties when like that was the only option. I'm like, no, no, like we have other options at this point. Um, So anyway, I can, yeah, I can totally relate to, to that sentiment because it's just like, we need to do better in a lot of ways and we can, we just need to, you know, get it started and get it started early for kids. Yeah. I've interviewed six moms that their kids all started using, using the rapid prompting method, RPM, and their kids are all communicating with that, but it's controversial and some people don't believe in it and blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. All I know is that these moms are telling me that their kids are talking to them and telling them amazing things. And they thought and and talking in, in full sentences and they didn't even know that they could read. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, rapid prompting method is definitely controversial uh, in the speech therapy world. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's it's hard because I really believe in, you know, parents know their kids better than anyone. And, you know, as professionals, like, of course, we have experience and we know the research and we know all these things. But um, I do think that trying to support families and whatever decision they make as far as what therapies they, you know, decide to go with and to try. And I think just being open as a professional to that is really important because, Ultimately, like we're there as a partner to families to help guide them, um, whatever direction they choose. Um, it's not my decision to, you know, forge the way. It's my decision to like stand next to you and help guide you if, you know, I can. Um, and so I have the same thing. I mean, I work with some families um, that are like, what about rapid prompting method? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, you know, you can try it. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's, uh, it's an area that a lot of people are, you know, impressed with. Um, I haven't you know, had direct experience with it, but um, a lot of families um, are interested in at least like exploring it. It can't hurt to, you know, try anything, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anything that's going to help your child to communicate, you know, I think mm-hmm. is, is a good thing. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you know, you obviously had a lot of experience um, throughout Robbie's life, probably with therapists and educators and IEP meetings and all those things. Mm -hmm. So if you had one gem of wisdom or piece of advice that you could give um, to families who are perhaps starting off, starting out on the journey uh, with a diagnosis of autism, um, what, you know, advice would you give? Well, the advice that I give is the advice that's in, it's the heart of my books. Um, Back when Robbie was diagnosed, you know, that first parent meeting that I went to at the school, they were talking about all these different devices and therapies and all these things that could snap your kid out of autism. That was, that was the culture back then. It Mm -hmm. was this horrible, it was like a death sentence, this horrible diagnosis that you got that was lifelong. And these parents were on a quest to take the autism away, get rid of it, you know, and, and they wanted their kids to speak, not because they wanted to speak. It's because that meant they weren't autistic anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm in ministry. Uh, and back then I, I was praying and I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to parent a child like this guy. I was like, God help me. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I, felt very strongly that he answered me back and he said, just love him the way he is. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well I could do that. Mm-hmm. And it changed my whole attitude, you know, and I was, and, and I appreciated every little thing that he did. You know, I thought everything that he did was adorable. It was cute. Just like you do with your, you know, your toddlers, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, they learn how to walk. They, they fall. Oh, oops. You know, it's like, you're not getting frustrated. Oh, when is he going to walk? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and um, so, the heart of the books, as I said, um, I would take Robbie for rides, right? If he was having a bad day, he was bored, he was frustrated, he was in a bad mood, you take him for a ride in the car and that always calmed him down and made him happy. Mm-hmm. So every book begins with, Robbie is a penguin who loves riding in the car. His mama always says, I love you just the way you are. And I say it over and over and over again in the books. I love you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. And I think that it's such a simple thing to say, but it's very profound and it takes a lot of the pressure off of parents of, mm-hmm. because you think you're not doing a good job. You think you're not, you, you know, it, it's like, what else can I do for them? What other therapy can I get? What else, uh, you know, you drive yourself crazy and, and, and you feel guilty and you feel like, you know, 
uh, parents are frustrated too, you know, and, and, um, and to me, that's my advice. I'm like, just love them and just love them the way they are. When I did my YouTube channel, I used to hear from people from all over the world, but I would hear from people with special needs that would say to me, I wish my mother loved me the way you love your son. And that would, that would, that's to hear that is heartbreaking, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And I, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, not get frustrated with other parents. I'm like, why can't you just love your kid? Just love them the way they are. You know, even with my other son, my my mother, he's neurotypical. He was an athlete and I had him in a travel baseball league uh, and just watching how competitive the parents were and, you know, taking their kids to for all these lessons. And they, they were bringing them to the gym, working out. And they were only 10 years old. And I was in the fitness field at the time. I'm like, you don't have a kid lift weights before their body's grown. It's not right. You don't do it. Um, yeah. And then and then the kid ends up needing Tommy John surgery and stuff like that. And I was I would get so frustrated. I'm like, why are you pushing your kids like that? You, you're, you know, your kid is not. The next, the next Derek Jeter. I'm sorry to tell you, but he's not. You know, why can't you just love your kid the way they are? Why are you pushing them to be an all star? You know, mm-hmm. just chill out, just relax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's my parenting advice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really in, insightful to just like take a little bit of the pressure off because I think that oftentimes what happens is, uh, you know, parents feel like their their children are so far behind, right? It's like, and that's what you go to IEP meetings and that's like, you know, oftentimes it's focused on what they're not doing, right? Like here's some what they're not doing. Here's another thing they're not doing. Here's these, all these things that we want them to do that they're not doing, right? And so it just feels like there's this layer of pressure to catch up and to push and to, you know, get as many therapies going as you can. And it's just like, you know, there has to be a, you know, a, it's just a, a fine I think balance. That's just American culture. We just yeah. are, we are that way with all of our, kids you know we're so concerned with them you know getting into the best college and da, 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 da. it's like yeah oh, okay well maybe your kid uh, is better is he was born to be a mechanic you know and and, yeah. and not a, an attorney like it's okay you know your yeah. kid was born to be who he is but that's like a whole page in my book mm-hmm. <laughs> where I kind of you know I, I you know where the dad in the story he the girls the girls had a softball game and the dad was there and he's looking out and he sees all the boys playing baseball. And it was the dad's dream that his son, he'd have a son that would be a baseball player someday. And he's looking at his autistic son in the, in the chair. And he says, you know what? You're not my mini me. You were born to be you. And that is perfectly okay with me. I love you just the way you are. And mm-hmm. I just feel like every parent needs to hear that. Every totally. Yeah, no, I love that. This is, I'm so excited, Cindy. So tell us, tell us how can we get the books? How do you, how do you access these books? Are they done? Oh, they're on. Oh yeah. Oh, they're done. Yes. Oh, they, great. They, came, they came out in April for autism awareness month. Yay. Um, yeah. And that's when I was on the today's show, April 2nd for world autism awareness day. Um, that was my big debut and they're on Amazon. So it's called Robbie's world and his spectrum of adventures. Uh, there's three books. I divided the 12 chapters into the three books. Uh, so there's four chapters in each book. Okay. So yeah, we'll definitely link to those in the show notes. Um, where can people find your YouTube channel? What's the YouTube channel called? That's called Robbie and me autism reality. 
Okay. So Perfect. they can see videos of Robbie. They're all still up there. Um, and then my podcast is called Spectrum Perspectives. And I put the video version all on my Robbie and me uh, YouTube channel. Um, they can follow me on Instagram. It's under my name, Cindy Gellormini, G-E-L-O-R-M-I-N-I. <laughs> I have to come up with something easier. Um, you know, but I, I didn't know what to call it because, because between the YouTube the podcast and the books, they all, all three have a different name. And I was yeah. like, well, the one unifying thing is me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on today, Cindy and sharing your perspective. I'm super excited to share all of the amazing work that you're doing, both with your podcast and your YouTube channel. And of course this book series, I think is going to make a huge impact in the, you know, disability world. And I think it can be a great tool to educate children, to educate parents. Um, and I think that, you know, the work you're doing is really amazing. So I just am very grateful that you came on today and shared your experience. I know a lot of listeners will benefit from all the gems of wisdom that you had to share. And I'm just going to tell everybody, go get those books. I'm really excited to check them up out on Amazon. Thank you. Oh my gosh. That's so cute. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It's so cute. Okay. It's official. I'm going to buy the books. <laughs> awesome. Well, send thank you so much, Cindy, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. For talking with Tech and Rachel Madel, join with Cindy Gellarmini. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.